0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 5. Nehemiah, chapter 5. It's on page 401 of your pew Bibles. I encourage you to read along as we uh, study God's Word this morning. Uh, just to put, by way of a little bit of a heads up, as we head into the Advent season, we're going to take a, a pause on our study of Ezra and Nehemiah during Advent and focus on the four themes of Advent uh, starting next week. And then we'll pick back up with Ezra and Nehemiah uh, in the new year. So just so that you guys aren't thrown off next week when we're not doing it, uh, I wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up. Now, as we come to... Nehemiah chapter 5, we are coming to a passage that deals with finances, with money. Now it's common enough, anybody who has been on the internet or who has spent any time on uh, TV or in media to see ads promising pathways to financial freedom. This past week I was on Facebook, which rarely I am on Facebook, but I was scrolling through and I saw a post that was written by a pastor who had created a system for producing passive income through some online scheme. It was built as a way for pastors to provide for themselves and for their families that they could have financial freedom in an economy that's filled with such financial insecurity. And who among us has not at least been tempted to find an easier way to earn a little cash, to provide a little extra for your children, to generate a source of passive Income As the value of your bank account seems to keep going down and the cost of gas and groceries and clothes keeps going up, it's natural to search for a way to stabilize your financial footing. However, this desire to provide financial security and freedom is why things like pyramid schemes work. It's why charlatans like Bernie Madoff and Sam Bankman-Fried will always have willing participants in their Ponzi schemes. Because people want financial freedom and they're often willing to follow the most unwise paths if there is a promise of easy gain. Nevertheless, what we find is that those who pursue wealth in this way are often financially enslaved rather than free. As Proverbs 13.11 teaches us, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. So then what are we to do with this desire to experience financial freedom? Is it wrong? Is it unchristian to seek financial stability? Are we all called to sell everything that we have and live as meagerly as possible? Are we to embrace or even pursue economic uncertainty as an opportunity to trust more in the Lord? In our passage for this morning, we find that the people of Jerusalem are on the brink of economic collapse. And this financial crisis has threatened the wall rebuilding project. Here's a quick summary of the situation. It seems that there is a food shortage among the Jewish people. And this was the result of both a famine and the work demands of the wall project. However, the people had to eat and so they began to borrow money from wealthier members of the community. They were mortgaging their fields so that they could buy food and so that they could pay their taxes. However... The lending practices of their fellow Jews were so egregious that there was no way for them to pay off their loans. They were reduced to selling themselves or even their children into slavery just to finance their debts. The whole situation was untenable for everyone involved. Yes, the initial pain is clearly felt by the poor, but the whole community was on the verge of collapse. If the fields are no longer being planted, then there would be no food for anyone. If most of the people are in debt servitude, there is no one who is paying rents to their landlords. And if the average citizen couldn't afford their daily needs, there was no chance that the wall around Jerusalem would ever be completed. If something did not quickly change, the resettlement of Jerusalem would become a failed project. Whereas chapters 3 through 4 in Nehemiah dealt with the external threat to the flourishing of God's kingdom, now in chapter 5 we see that the threat to the reestablishment of Jerusalem comes internally from economic instability. And what we will learn is that if God's people would flee from financial slavery, and submit themselves to God's Word, then all of God's people will be able to experience true financial freedom, and the kingdom of God will go forward in power. So here now, the word of the Lord, Nehemiah chapter 5. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers for there were those who said with our sons and our daughters we are many so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive there are also those who said we are mortgaging our fields our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine and there were those who said we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers our children are as their children Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, You are exacting interest, each from his brother." And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards and their houses and the percentage of money, grain, wine and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say." And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, From the twentieth year to the thirty-second year of Artaxerxes the king, twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, forty shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, six choice sheep, and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance." Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Oh, almighty God, we come to you, Lord, as a people that must live in the real world of Earning money and paying taxes and buying food. Of securing home, clothing, and transportation. Father, we have real and true financial burdens and questions that are upon us. We pray, O Lord, that Your Word would speak to us. And that You would teach us what true financial freedom is through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's in His name that we do pray. Amen. Deliverance from slavery is one of the main images that the Word of God uses to describe salvation. In the Old Testament, the major redemptive movement of God was to save His people out of slavery to the Egyptians. And to accomplish this salvation, the Lord provided the Passover lamb that was sacrificed as a substitute for the life of the firstborn. Through this sacrifice, God's people were redeemed. That is, they were bought out of slavery to live in the freedom of God's rule over them. This exodus is mirrored now as the people of Israel return from exile. They were in slavery to these foreign nations, to Babylon and to Persia. And now they have been bought out of slavery to return to Jerusalem. This metaphor for salvation continues in the New Testament. Where Jesus has died to set His people free from slavery to sin. Romans 6 uses this image to describe our salvation where it says we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Galatians 5.1, using the same image, says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You see, God's people have been saved so that they might be free. Free from the yoke and the burden of slavery. Free from the burdens of serving any other master than Christ. However, in Nehemiah 5, we see that God's people who have been freed from their slavery to Babylon have again come under a different type of slavery. Slavery to money. As we have already seen, the economic situation on the ground is a terrible mess. And it is because the people of Israel have become financially enslaved. First, we see this financial slavery expressed through debt. The book of Proverbs says that the borrower is slave of the lender. And this truth plays out quite dramatically in our text. The average Israelite was having to mortgage their land to be able to buy food and to pay their taxes. And once the mortgage was up, they had no other recourse than to sell themselves or even their children into slavery. Debt was literally enslaving God's people. Now, we do not want to blame the victims, but we must see that those who bring about debt on themselves are leading themselves down the road of slavery. It is an indictment on the whole unbiblical economic system that was developed in Israel at the time. A system in which debt was used as a means to enslave God's people, rendering them unable to enjoy the blessings of the land or even to engage in the work of the kingdom. And if we would be a people who would experience true financial freedom, we must be a people who avoid such financial slavery. We must be a people who take great pains to avoid incurring unneeded debt in our lives. Because the more debt we have, the more we are enslaved to that debt. It drains away from us the ability to truly enjoy the blessings that God has given and to engage in the work which He has called us to. Now, I understand that lending and debt are a part of our modern economic system. I have a mortgage on my own house and I don't feel guilty about that or think that is wrong. I'm not seeking to call into question the legitimacy of lending and borrowing as such. When it's done ethically and it's done responsibly, it can be a force for good and it can help create economic prosperity for our community. Nevertheless, we all know have I experienced what happens when lending becomes manipulative and when debt becomes overwhelming? It can destroy lives and it can destroy economies and countries. It enslaves those who are meant to be free. Now the second way we see financial slavery expressed in the first few verses is through the Israelite nobles love Of money. And this is really the root issue. The nobles and the officials of the land were able to leverage their position to gain short term wealth at the expense of their own brothers. They were blinded by their desire to secure more financial resources that they couldn't see that their actions were destroying the whole community. And while they may have expressed fidelity to God, their actions spoke otherwise. Jesus put it this way, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see, you cannot... Serve God and at the same time serve money. To live in financial freedom, you must flee from serving money as your master. While there are promises of freedom, it is a trap. You cannot serve money and have true financial freedom at the same time. By definition, Serving money is to be enslaved to money. So what is Nehemiah to do? The whole economic system is about to collapse. God's people are being sold into slavery after being freed from exile. The nobles and officials, the powerful and influential people are benefiting at least short term from this system and so they will be resistant to change. And the work of rebuilding God's kingdom has been halted. Economic issues never come with easy answers. And the consequences of a failed economic system can be drastic. Many point to the hyperinflation that Germany experienced in the early 1920s as creating an environment of uncertainty that gave rise to the Nazi party and Hitler's totalitarian regime a decade later. Many point to the Great Depression as leading to the problems that brought about World War II. Now in our passage, we see that Nehemiah must act before the whole society falls apart. So what does he do? Well, we read that following his initial anger, he calls together an assembly to address the issue. Then we read in verse 9 his words to the nobles and the officials who have brought this problem about. He says in verse 9, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? You see, the Lord had strictly forbidden His people from engaging in such financial schemes. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 23, we read, You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. You see, God's people were not walking in the fear of God. That is to say, they were not obeying His Word and they were experiencing the direct consequences of their disobedience. The Lord does not desire His people to be financially enslaved, and so He has given His word to direct us how we might find true financial freedom in this world. And to walk in this financial freedom, we must fear and repent of our wrongdoing. The Apostle Paul gives us this warning. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. O Christians, If you would walk in true financial freedom, you need to take this warning seriously. The love of money, serving money, craving money, will cause you to follow senseless desires. It might even cause you to wander away from the faith and will cause all sorts of pain in your life. We think that we can hold the flame of the love of money close without being burned, but that is a lie. You must flee from your love of money and follow God's Word. Because more money does not equal more financial freedom. But fearing God above all else is true financial freedom. The founding pastor of a church where I ministered may serve as an example. The church was experiencing healthy growth. It was reaching the community with the gospel. From all outward signs, things seemed to be going well in the ministry. However, the pastor was discontent. It seems that his brother was extremely wealthy. And his brother could dress in the finest clothes and take expensive vacations and drive nice cars and had nice homes both where he lived and his vacation home. And therefore this pastor felt discontent with the money that he was able to earn in his calling. He desired to dress in better clothes, to eat at nicer restaurants, to go on vacation with his brother without asking his brother to pay for it. And so he was led down a senseless path. And he devised a scheme in which he would steal expensive clothes from a department store, then drive to a neighboring town and return them at the same chain so that he could get cash. When he was inevitably caught, he resigned from ministry and he chose never to return. The church's reputation in the community was shot and it took several years for it to recover. And when we hear stories like this, we think, wow, that's senseless. We think, well, that could never happen to me. But the truth is that it is not uncommon for pastors to get caught up in illegal financial dealings because money grabs their heart and it pulls them towards senseless ways. And you think, you know what? Okay, maybe it's happening to them, but it would never happen to me. But we must have a proper fear of money's power to enslave us to foolishness and to sin. You must hear the warning of God's Word and repent if you would live in freedom from the love of money. Where is your heart, Christian? How much of your time and energy is spent thinking about and desiring more than what the Lord has providentially provided for you? Are you constantly discontent with what you have been given? Are you enslaved? Is there within you a struggle between you and your wife because you want more and she spends more and she wants more and you spend more? Is your love and desire for more money causing you to go down a path of sin? You must hear God's Word. You must repent and be freed even as the Israelite nobles heard the Word of God and repented of their wicked ways. You need to have a proper fear of what the love of money can do to your heart. And follow God's Word and flee from it. Now, at this point, we could easily go down the wrong path in our thinking about money. And surely there's many Christian thinkers and communities that have taken this path. It's easy to take this reductionistic view of things in which we think, well, pff, money's evil. And therefore, to walk faithfully, we should have as little of it as possible. However, that is not what God's Word teaches at all. Rather, we see that wealth is a tool. And it is a tool that can be used for good or for ill. The Israelite nobles had used their position of financial power to hurt those with less power. But we see in verses 14-19 through that Nehemiah uses his wealth to bless the people of God And to advance the work of the kingdom. Look down at verse 15. We read Nehemiah's words. He says, The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people. And took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so. Because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. You see, as governor, Nehemiah had the right to exact taxes from the people of Israel. <clears throat> but he did not exercise this right. He knew that the people were already living under a heavy burden, and so he relieves them of this further financial Wait. We also see that by reducing this financial burden on the people, the work of the wall was able to continue and go forward. Nehemiah feared the Lord and therefore he blessed God's people and he persevered in God's calling. However, Nehemiah was not some poor civil servant. Nehemiah did not sell all that he owned and gave, give it to the poor. Rather, what we see is that as the governor, he had vast resources at his disposal. Look at verse 18. It says, Now what was prepared at my expense? Okay. This is coming from Nehemiah's own personal expense. For each day was one ox, Six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. You see, at his own expense, Nehemiah provided food and wine in abundance for those in his royal court. He would host visiting dignitaries. He would entertain various officials. And when you begin to do the math, you realize that Nehemiah must have been an extremely wealthy man. An ox a day. That is a lot of oxen. Abundance of wine was flowing from his own expense. See, He did not exact more taxes against the people. He gave relief to the people financially. But at the same time, He allowed His wealth to flow forth to bless the people and to have the work of the kingdom go forward. Throughout the Word of God, we see that the Lord providentially causes some to be wealthy and others to not. Some of us are born into families where we will inherit vast amounts of wealth. And others of us are born into families with debt. Some of us will be called to professions in which we will make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And others will make only tens of thousands. There are CEOs and doctors and professors and pastors and teachers and computer programmers and home builders and homemakers. And those who have been blessed with wealth are not to feel guilty about wealth. And those who have been given less are not to feel discontent with what they have been given. Rather, if we would walk in true financial freedom, we must be willing to trust God's sovereignty over our wealth and direct our money and resources towards the advancement of His kingdom and not our own kingdom. Nehemiah could have used his position to leverage more and more money into his accounts. It was all his right to do that. But rather he saw that God had blessed him abundantly so that he could use his wealth as an opportunity to advance the mission of God's kingdom. And so he sacrificially gave up his rights and he served God's people. And this is where we find true financial freedom. When we're willing to cheerfully and sacrificially give for the advancement of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 8 9, the Apostle Paul explains how we walk in this freedom. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. You see, the Lord Jesus had true wealth. As the eternal Son of God, He dwelt in joy and fullness unimaginable to us. The world and the fullness thereof belonged to Him completely. And yet He was willing to give up His wealth And to come to earth as a poor child, born into a poor family, born into a nation ruled by a foreign power. He was willing to live a life of want and dependence upon others. And then he gave up the most precious and valuable thing of all, his own life. He poured out His precious and invaluable blood to pay the debt that we had incurred to redeem us out of our slavery to sin. He became poor. Why? So that we might become rich. So that we might become truly rich. So that we could have the true wealth of a relationship with God. For by His blood, He has bought His own out of slavery. He's purchased His people and they now belong to Him. He is their master, not this world. He has redeemed us that we might no longer be slaves, but rather that we would walk in the freedom He has purchased for us. So do not return to the yoke of slavery. Slavery. Do not become ensnared by the love of wealth, thinking that you can serve both God and money. You can't. But rather walk in true financial freedom. The freedom to love God and to live for His purposes. The freedom to use the wealth that you have been given as the tool that it is. A God-given gift to bless His people and to advance His kingdom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Father God, we come to you now at this time. We pray that you would teach us. Teach us well to serve you and you alone. We pray, O God, that you would give to us contentment with what we have been given and give us, O Lord, freedom from serving this world, that we might serve you. We pray, Lord, that you would give to us hearts of gratitude and thanksgiving as we enter this season of thanksgiving. May all be rendered to you. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen.